electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. There's no way. There's no way Kernan's letting him come over. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer with a concerned look on his face. We're going to have a good morning, though, aren't we, Jim? Uh, Carl has the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures, of course, as we get ready for uh, the open a half hour from now. You can see kind of a mixed picture, not doing too much. Our roadmap this morning starts with, though, another day of records. Unfortunately, it's COVID infections and deaths that are hitting new highs. This says Moderna's vaccine candidate nears emergency use approval. Shares of FedEx are sinking this morning ahead of the open. We'll keep an eye on that after the open. The shipping giant warning about continued uncertainty as a result of the pandemic and that suspected Russian hack. Well, every day we learn more and it certainly doesn't get any better, does it? The news Uh, much worse than first feared. Hundreds of Fortune 500 companies potentially exposed. The CEO of cybersecurity firm Palo Alto, Palo Alto Networks is going to join us. An old friend of Kesha Aurora in a few minutes. We'll discuss that. Uh, And Jim, it is stunning, actually. You know, I've been trying to keep track of it this week. Um, and it just keeps getting worse uh, in terms of what we learn. And obviously, we're focused in part on the uh, government agencies that have been penetrated to the extent of which we're not still completely aware by the Russians. But it could go far beyond that to many companies that were using the solar winds management software, which, as we know, is also compromised. Look, David, I've got to tell you, I spend and have all of the cybersecurity companies on, including Palo Alto. It, I just kind of marvel that no matter what seems to happen, there are breaches. And I think that maybe it's time to say this company didn't do its job. I think the American people are almost used to everyone just punting and say, hey, well, it's the Russians were bad. But David, we, we pay companies to stop this stuff. And I'm tired of hearing, well, the Russians were bad. I'd like to hear we stop this. I know Palo Alto is going to talk about that. But, David, honest, honestly, I mean, what are we paying these companies to do? Well, it's very difficult. I mean, first of all, you're talking about an extraordinarily uh, sophisticated actor in the Russians or in the Chinese, for that matter, uh, when they are uh, when they are doing it, which they are all the time. Um, you know, the adversaries demonstrated an ability to exploit software supply chains and shown significant knowledge of Windows networks. That's according to one of the alerts that's out there. It's very hard, Jim, when they're using a vendor to companies. OK, so they're right. not they're not trying to get into the company itself. And then they actually are able to use software patches that are distributed by said company, in this case, SolarWinds. Uh, that then get them into the network of, of those companies. It's hard to defend. Well, I want to know who can't stop an actor nobody knows. Uh, for instance, I have Octone this week, uh, Todd McKinnon. He was saying, look, legacy systems are not able to identify and have zero trust. Not zero trust, meaning that no one trusts them, but literally that you know everyone who's in. Now, I know these people can take your identity. Uh, they can make it so that you're, they're, they're, you're part of a patch. But I'd like to know who 
Which people, which people did not have the right software? Because I have to believe that as, as terrible as the Russians are, the reason why you have good cybersecurity is because you know the Russians are terrible. I mean, you know the North Koreans are terrible. You know yeah. the Chinese are terrible. Do we not have smart enough people? Well, we got plenty of smart people. Um, but we're talking about a very sophisticated adversary that never stops. But aren't and, we sophisticated? Of, of course we are. Of course we are. Do you, well, think the Russians just like, could, you think the Russians could shut down our power grid? I don't know. Aren't, doesn't your house have no power? <laughs> it does. Your apartment has no power. I mean, I, mean, I don't think that they're necessarily targeting I don't think the Russians are after me and Sorkin. I really don't. I mean, maybe the Chinese. You know, they kind of get a little more upset about things on the corporate level, but not the Russians. Um, the Department of Energy, the National, Se- National Nuclear Security Nuclear, Administration. Perfect. They manage the weapons stockpile. I mean, you know, listen, now many of the key things are air-gapped, right? In other words, they're not connected to the Internet. They're on their own networks. So these are public networks to a certain extent, perhaps and hopefully not containing a great deal of classified information. But it gets pretty scary, Jim. I think it's very scary. Uh, and I'd like to think that uh, we have people all over the place uh, in the Army who come in and help these companies. Uh, I have uh, a, a company that comes on. Look, I, we all have... Like, I have CyberArk. Okay, what does CyberArk have? It has people from the Israeli army who are very good at detecting uh, uh, covert operations. But I think what we, one of the things that off, offline people tell me is, listen, we're not as nasty and dirty, and we, it's hard for us to think uh, in, in a criminal way. I mean, it's almost as if, David, we need Willie Sutton. We need some guy who knows how to, you know, who's a, just, a, just an, a, a criminal. Yeah. Who can well, be and say, listen, I am a criminal and I've hacked in and you guys are nothing. Let's get the guy who hacked Target and the guy who hacked Home Depot. Let's- we've got, listen, we've got the NSA. They believe me. They've but, got the capability. The question is what you use and how you use well, it. I, I think it's right to ask um, these questions. I mean, we can just sit here and say, well, you know, the Russians are really bad. Yeah, Don't they worry. are. Meanwhile, I think Nikesh Arora knows. He's uh, a yeah, smart we're, we're going to ask Nikesh. Meanwhile, it, not having any impact on the stock market. nor Nothing is the impacts the stock nothing, market. Uh, the continued unfortunate... I mean, the vaccine's out there. We're watching the vice president get it. At the same time, we've got cases at all-time highs with 235,000. California setting records every day. And unfortunately, Jim, deaths setting records every day as well. But nothing stops this stock market. No, and you neglected to say nothing stops Bitcoin. and Nothing stops EVs from China. And nothing stops the 300 SPACs that have come public. But uh, Henry Blodgett had a good point today, David, as you've been saying. Just because it's crazy doesn't mean it can't be crazy for a long time. No, he uh, remembers it, as do you, as do I. I mean, we sat, talked about it being crazy in 97 and 98, thinking, ooh, this is going to end, and it didn't. It went on for quite some time, and then it did. No, and, and then it, it did. And how few people actually stopped playing the game. I mean, right. who, was the, who were the Bernard Brooks who just said, you know what, this thing's crazy. I think you and I both know that there were very few people who said, I'm going to take a lot of profit, and I'm going to change my lifestyle. Instead, it was all paper. They let it. They didn't realize that it ends in a nanosecond. And David, they gave it all up. In they did, but minutes. I do feel like we've men- mentioned this many times, but it does bear repeating. The quality of companies then, certainly the quality of companies when it's very different than now. We can make have arguments about valuation when it comes to a DoorDash or an Airbnb, 
but you aren't or necessarily going to question the fundamentals of their business and their ability to actually compete and even dominate in their particular market and or grow significantly. I mean, that's not the conversation we're having. We're talking, well, this seems ridiculous. I mean, Palantir got downgraded today right. by Credit Suisse, right? It's uh, 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 to an underperform. The price target there, 17. We've talked about Palantir a lot. Remember, direct listing. And then it just went, you see it there, it just went right. crazy. But they don't question the underlying business. They just say, hey, you know what? Uh, at this point, the stock's trading at, I think it's 46 times enterprise value over calendar year 21 revenue. And that, in this analyst's opinion, is too much. Well, David, I, I, I'm trying to work on a thesis. And the thesis is, is that unlike Palantir, when you look at DoorDash, you just said, great company, Airbnb, great company. David, I don't know if it's, uh, it's Snowflake. I don't know if it's worth 300 billion. It's worth whatever people want to pay. pay I mean, it. hey, maybe yeah. it's worth 300 billion. And maybe it's worth 200 billion. I, right. I struggle over, over a company like DoorDash, which I think before the pandemic was, and before the consolidation was a little hand to mouth. Yes. And now uh, they've got plenty of money and they're doing well. And, I don't know how to value it. It's whatever people want it to be. It's, it's whatever. And, and, you know, and then, then you get to Tesla. We heard Dan Ives talking with, uh, with Joe and uh, Andrew about it. $621 or so billion dollars as we yeah. begin, the market cap as we begin. Now, he said it, and I think there's many who agree, it's not a car company because you can't on the numbers. No. I mean, I can remember going back to the days when we talk about Amazon, too, Jim, during that period you and I are discussing. And we say, well, they sell books. Well, obviously, that was not the point. Right. Uh, and perhaps it will be one day we'll, we'll look back and say they didn't really sell cars. I mean, they, they sold cars, but that wasn't really the point. No, it's a SPAC. It's an Elon Musk SPAC. <laughs> it's an Elon right? Musk SPAC, he right. Just, you're betting on Elon Musk. So far, pretty good. Imagine the people who bet on uh, uh, Steve Jobs. Yeah. Like, hey, he's a smart guy. He's going to come up with something. He comes up with the iPhone. I mean, right. just think about it, how amazing that is. Uh, but this is all instant. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was speaking with some of the people at Snowflake, David. They have. That's stunning, by the way, though, looking at that chart. But, Look at that. Oh, Look Tesla? at that performance over 10 years. Oh, now, by the way, so much of it has occurred over the last few. Yeah, well, since November. 10,000 percent. Uh, I'm looking at a snowflake. It's worth 92 billion. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's worth 200 billion. Their software is amazing. I, I don't know. No one really knows how to value these things. And I think that's part of what we're struggling with. And we know that Cisco traded uh, what, 40, 50 times uh, earnings at the top. Now, that's that's very inexpensive versus what many of these companies are doing because the price to sales. Slootman, your boy, Slootman. your man, you know, Mr. Slootman. Slootman, I'm options look, to purchase 15,242,240 shares of Class B Common at 888 a share. They vest monthly over 48 months. That began in April of 2019. Slootman, Slootman's 888 worth. a month. Slootman did not want to work, okay? He Say was again? done. Yeah. They brought him back. Do you think they can bring him back? For just garden variety salary? I mean, Slootman's a miracle worker. Well, <laughs> he, he is. Every month he gets another, what is that, 300? I forget. Well, he's very exacting. How much is Belichick worth? How much is Belichick worth? priceless. Priceless. Boom. Bingo. There you go. Man, are you ever on your game today? Thank you. Well, um, all right. They want me to talk about the vaccines. Who's they? They. Yeah. You have Rip anything to say Rip about it? Rip it out, David. Come on. Show I'm, some I'm taking moxie. my lead from our uh, from our great producers. Put it back in. Uh, but I'll go to you. Any thoughts on the vaccines? Look, I, I think <laughs> Meg is unbelievable. Yes, yeah, she's, there, a, now she's Meg an incredible is, reporter. Does she get the rest on Saturday? I don't know. But uh, when I listen to Meg, I do get optimistic. 
uh, that it's all going to happen. But I do think that the patchwork nature of what we're doing uh, is kind of beyond belief. I mean, uh, it's a bit of a free for all. And I keep hearing you never hear, by the way, that the federal government is pushing them. The federal government always seems to have a stock hold. They have a stock hold of everything. Uh, so I don't know. But between uh, Gottlieb and uh, Terrell, I, I feel that, that we're actually not that bad. All right. But you go back and forth each day. I do. I feel like you're it's unclear. You well, get worried. They, then you're not as worried. Then you are. Well, because they go back and forth every day. Right. I mean, you know, they, I listen. It's not me. It's them. And we have to see every day we get a new update to your point in terms of the distribution plan or the lack thereof. Would you like to have been after Pence? I, I'm ready. Sure, I'll take it. I'll, give, I'll you, take it you too. Make it available to me, and I'll take it. Maybe it's like the third man. Maybe there's like a black market in penicillin. What a wonder drug that was. Penicillin? Yeah. So was the polio. Remember, polio, by the way, was administered by the federal government. Yes, it was. Because they wanted to end polio. Yes, and they did. No one made a lot of. No one made it dime. No. That's not the American way, dude. No one made a penny on polio. We really got to go says Chip. So coming up, we're going to tell you cyber attacks against the U.S. We're going to discuss that with Palo Alto Network CEO Nikesh Aurora. Don't go anywhere. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Cybersecurity stocks moving higher this morning. This one concerns that the suspected Russian hack could be far worse than feared. I'm not sure they should all move higher. I think some did not do that well. Microsoft calling in a moment of reckoning, which requires a strong, coordinated global cybersecurity response. Well, I like that. But joining us now is someone whom I rely on very much for these kinds of issues. I rely on Palo Alto Network's chairman and CEO, Nikesh Arora. Nikesh, uh, I'm not even going to do it that like, good to have you on. How are you doing? Let's go right to it. How big, how bad, why do we care? Well, Jim, this is a, this is a very, very sophisticated, almost like a dream attack for a cyber, cyber hacker, right? The ability to get into the software development lifecycle off a piece of software, which is used by 300,000 customers, 18,000 of them have downloaded this patch. Effectively, you have to backdoor keys to 18,000 customers if they have not been able to protect themselves against this patch or they've been diligent and downloaded this patch. So this is going to be a big one. This is going to be known as one of the top five attacks in the history of cybersecurity. But if I'm a person at home and I'm worried about my bank account, worried about my electricity, what am I worried about? Or is this enterprise and you better be darn worried about it? It is enterprise. It is governments. It is it is everything you can imagine because it's hard to get 300,000 customers out there. It's hard to get 18,000 customers to download a patch. There are organizations around the world which are government. I think literally uh, the people who have coordinated this sophisticated attack have the keys to various organizations and they've selectively gone after the biggest targets. And it's still not clear what the extent and the expanse of this impact is, but I think we're going to keep learning more and more over time, and this will continue to have repercussions depending on how far and how deep this attack has infiltrated. Yeah, Nikesh, it's David. That was my question. I mean, Tom Bosert, who was a Homeland Security Advisor, uh, 
to Trump, wrote an editorial the other day. You know, the Russians have had access to the considerable number of important and sensitive networks for six to nine months. And the SVR, the Russians, will surely have used it to further exploit and gain administrative control over the network's considered priority targets. I mean, are we just going to keep learning more and more with each day and each week? At what point do we feel like, okay, we really actually know what they know? Well, I mean, David, have you seen every organization which is in our industry in cybersecurity or large organizations are putting out statements that we have to work together to go figure out the extent of this damage, as well as we've got to go to a large extent to go protect ourselves. So I think it's incumbent about upon every organization which deploys a solar wind server to make sure, A, are they safe? Were they impacted? And B, are they prepared in the future if something like this happens? Look, we're all going digital. All our data line servers with various companies our enterprises are being run because of the digital economy. We've seen that with the pandemic. So it's imperative that we all protect ourselves and make sure this doesn't happen to us. And I think, I think the effects of this are far reaching. What, what, sort of, yeah, Nick, what does it actually mean? You know, I, I'm always curious. You've got to try to figure out how far they've gotten in within the network. You've got to try to fix whatever has been done and, and, and get rid of the, of the areas that have been breached. I mean, is that just man hours? Is that just enormous amount, enormous number of people sitting at computers dealing with all of these issues and trying to understand them? No, David, it's more than that. So let's, let's go back to the basics. What happened? Lots of organizations use a certain piece of software to manage their networks. That software has privileged access to go to be able to reconfigure things, to be able to move things around. If you can get in the software development lifecycle of that piece of software, which is what has happened here, you effectively, if you can communicate it, you can make it do things you want it to do. Imagine if I have privileged access to somebody's network and I can make it do what I want to do, I can make it behave in such a way that it lets me in to various parts of their servers. So I can go get in in one way, traverse the organization, figure out where the crown jewels are. I can go figure out where the server is with stores the vaccine data. I can figure out where the server is with social security numbers. I can figure out where the server is that stores codes. Once I figure that out, I can exfiltrate that data, take it away, and do what I want with it. And literally, each of these can be done on an individual organization, enterprise, agency basis because you've basically got keys to the back door. That's what we're talking about. All right. So every organization has to go check to make sure, hey, did they get impacted? If they did, they've got to go scrub their entire network. We spent 2,500 hours in the last few weeks making sure that nothing went through any of our infrastructure because you know, we, we highlighted that we saw recently an attempt with one of our solar wind servers just trying to communicate to malware. We blocked it with our Cortex XTR agent. We put out that indicator to all of our customers trying to protect them, but we still went ahead and once we found out with solar winds, we went ahead and scrubbed the whole thing. Well, Nikesh, this is obviously a form of war. It's a Russian war to be able to hack something that is people are not being killed by it, but at the same time, it could happen. And I don't know, you're a person who is willing to, let's say, name names if it happens. There's an app called Solar Winds. I read them. I mean, I thought, look, at one point when it came public, I thought it was some sort of ESG play. Uh, but I read them and I say to myself, well, if Nikesh was running that, because I know you and I know the things you bought, I know that these stopped it, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Now, maybe you could say, Jim, you know, there by the grace of God. But Nikesh, come on, come on. Some people are doing it better than others. I mean, the solar well, winds. I mean, you know, how many people did, how did they get all these accounts? I mean, was it like, hey, man, we're better than everybody? This is not right, Nikesh. And you know, you know that there's some people who screwed up here. Is it okay to name them, or do we just say, oh, the Russians are so good, we're like losers? 
Well, I, I think, look, Jim, I'm not going to go give anyone you know, a free pass, but I think SolarWinds is an important piece of software used by network managers around the world. They came up with an innovative piece of software, which superseded earlier software, which was more complex and more expensive. I think it's, all this highlights is we all have to be extremely vigilant and making sure that our systems and our processes are secure. If you're not, you are going to get attacked one day. You are going to get hacked. You're going to have somebody take control. And I think it's unfortunate that the, the control that was taken in this case of the SolarWinds server is a server used by 18,000 customers, updated by 18,000 users by 20,000 customers. So I'm not going to give them a free pass. They should have been more vigilant and diligent. But I think this is a very sophisticated, very complex attack. And that the fact they got in there, not only did they do a sophisticated thing, they also got lucky this is a piece of software, which then went unnoticed for six to nine months. Yeah, And, and now it's embedded in the infrastructure of thousands of customers out there. Yeah, many thousands. I mean, finally, Nikesh, what, listen, you know, as, as our corporations can certainly try to do whatever it is they can, but it would seem like we are reliant to a certain extent on the federal government to take the lead or at least organize. Are we and should we retaliate in some way to try to perhaps prevent our, our adversaries from continuing to do these kinds of attacks? I think first and foremost, David, we've got to make sure we're secure. Before we go ahead and try to do anything else, the first thing we've got to make sure every organization, every agency has to go through a review and make sure that they are not impacted. And if they have an iota of doubt on the fact that they may be impacted, they've got to make sure they secure their infrastructure. If they And they also have to be prepared for this if it happens again. I don't think it's the last one we're going to see. I think in the future, the best way to create disruption, the best way to get into your crown jewels is going to be through a digital medium. The borders have gone away. I can get into infrastructure of any part of the world. I don't have to physically show up there. We've got to go make sure that our infrastructure is up to speed and secure enough that this doesn't happen to us. Once we've got there, we can talk about what to do next. But I think we're a long ways away from getting there. I think right now we've launched something last night where we said, look, we're going to give you a free assessment in 48 to 72 hours. If you're, if you're any agency, any customer out there who wants to understand the impact, if you already haven't done this, and we're putting resources on, on notice who are ready to help customers do an assessment and engagement because we're trying to do our part and a lot of other cybersecurity companies should be doing the same and are doing the same. And that's what we need to do right now. Well, Nikesh, it's great to have you on. Obviously, everyone has to be more vigilant. Everybody has to redouble. And anyone in your business, I think, has to just say, get me someone who stopped the hack. Let me find someone who didn't uh, let, let them in. That's my take. Nikesh Arora, who's the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. I look forward to seeing you uh, on Mad Money soon. Thank you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices 
And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. And there you hear the applause. The old New York Stock Exchange and at the NASDAQ, the uh, S&P heat map right back here. I can actually look at it. I can go over and touch it if I want to now. Not like the old days, Jim, where... We just refer to it when we're on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange back at HQ. We are back at HQ, and there is the opening bell. For this Friday, as we get started with trading, you saw kind of a mixed uh, mixed open. You can see it reflected there, the composition of green and red. But what a week it's been. What a year for the markets it's oh. been. We talk so often, Jim, about the juxtaposition of new highs for the S&P and certainly for the NASDAQ and so many stocks and so much wealth created juxtaposed with the suffering in this country uh, that is simply um, unacceptable, I think, for many. Yeah, I mean, people who are going hand to mouth, who are waiting online uh, for food, who are unemployed and who are facing the prospect of no government aid, by the way, still bottled up another problem, it seems, in terms of trying to get a package out of there. Look, the people who have made money had money. And I think that's what's most discouraging if you're someone who wants to have equality in the country. Uh, People who had uh, a lot of savings, David, were able to take that savings and make a lot more. I'm not just talking about Bitcoin, which, by the way, is what they should be trying to hack, right? Bitcoin has been incredible. What, 23,000 yesterday? I haven't looked at it this morning. But, I mean, the wealthy people, you know, there's no Bitcoin fraction. Well, there'll be some outfit that'll do it. Yeah. I think they're trying to do it now. But my point is, is that, David, the people who got the money and did well uh, made a lot more money with their money than people thought. Uh, Robin Hood, we haven't even talked about that. You take $1,200. You don't really know that they're taking your order flow, but maybe we should have. But I just think that this is one of those a, a wealth transfer from the people who don't have much to transfer to the people who had enough. And that's because Congress has been so inept. Right. So widening the, the continued gulf in terms of income inequality. That's the only way to look at it, I think. I mean, it's very Dickensian. Um, well, on that note, we do have a, a mixed bag, but the S&P is up and the Nasdaq continues to power ahead, Jim. You know, it's funny. Apple and Facebook have been going at each other pretty hard. I mean, even whew, personal, even Zuckerberg to cook. Um, you know, A, let me get your thoughts. I would note that Facebook shares are up and Apple's down a bit. But, of course, both have been very strong performers. Apple in particular up 75 percent this year. Of course, the introduction of the iPhone 12. And we got some production uh, potential news from Nikkei earlier this week about an increase in production that certainly helped the stock as it uh, earlier in the week, at least. Well, look, I, I, what is what is Tim Cook's job? It's to put out the best product uh, possible. He has said that over and over and over again. And he will not stop. He will not stop. If he thinks that someone's in the way of the person who bought an iPhone, he will not let that happen. Uh, and there's Facebook, who wants to be partners with 2 million customers and wants to, do, uh, wants to be known as someone who helps these small, medium-sized businesses, which we know, David, are what uh, they love in Washington. And they're taking the side of their customers. And it's a big clash. Yeah. I, I do think, by the way, that maybe there's uh, – you want the best user experience if you own choice, Apple. Choice That's over the data that is being collected uh, about them and how it's used. Yep. Made it pretty simple. I know, but this is real. Is it a real threat to Facebook or, no. you know, is it yet another one of those that we'll spend time talking about 
only to watch the profitability of the company continue well, to soar. I mean, to me, Facebook makes a lot of money for small and medium-sized businesses. It's a really good value proposition. If it became a bad value proposition, then I think it really is news. I mean, I'm looking at Google. Yeah, but to the extent that people start opting out in a way because they are now much more aware of their ability to do so and it's far easier, doesn't that diminish the potential size of ad- that you can actually reach through advertising on Facebook or... You're not a believer. No, I'm not a believer. I mean, I'm a believer that uh, there are a lot of incredible businesses that have been started in the last 12 months, and a lot of them are on Instagram, uh, a lot of them on Shopify, a lot of them on Etsy. And I, I celebrate that. And uh, this internecine uh, fang issue, I'm not, uh, I'm not taking any more. I, I look, nothing can be taken lightly with big full-page ads trashing each other. But at the same time, I mean, I, I am saying I'm looking askance a little bit. Uh, same thing with Alphabet. I mean, uh, there's... If we had 57 states, they would like we have 57 varieties of ketchup. They would uh, they would be all over uh, Alphabet, and yet there's Alphabet. We use Alphabet. We use Google every day. What do we want? Do we want a bad Google? Right. Is that what we want? Uh, give me a really bad Google that, that makes it so somebody else does well. Send me to Bing. Um, always worth reminding people: the Federal Trade Commission is suing Facebook, and the Department of Justice is suing Alphabet. Yeah, uh, those are going to be ongoing for potentially years to come. And I can see that you, like most investors, could care less. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm trying to make money for people. I mean, spack me, David. Spack. Oh, believe me, we're going to be spacking you left and right, man. Spack, 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 There's 300 spack. spacks. Do you think yeah, every day in the lightning round I get a new spack? And spack, and spack. And spack. Yeah. What? I mean, you know, yeah. David, I, I have to tell you, I spoke with a young kid. You did? A my, young kid? Who was in my daughter's class at Summit yesterday. You got a spack. Okay. He's got a spack. Oh, he's and, got his own spack. Yeah, and I was I think yeah. he was thinking I better have a spack. Everybody needs to have a spack. And it did I say have a spack in the dream. Million, right? Everyone's 250. About 250. Now, how much does a promoter, how much does someone who's starting a spack David make from the very well, get go? It depends. The typical structure is 20% of whatever you raise there. So if it's a $300 million spack, it's 60 million bucks of the company that you are potentially merging with. So Ooh. that's and they like, you know, that's not bad. So I got $60 million in stock. If I do a decent deal and it goes up from there, hey. What are we doing clowning around with stocks? I don't know. I Why don't is know. Apple down? We got to find Apple's down probably because you just said those bad things. I, I didn't say anything bad, and it was but down Apple prior to my beginning came to speak. Up with good things. Apple occasionally can go down, Jim. But, yeah, keep an eye. Even next week, I think we're going to get some more SPAC deals. Um, hearing a few out there, but at this point, speculation in terms of some names, so I'm not going to share them right now. But we'll, 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 we'll keep following our SPAC. Uh, uh, $63 billion is out there. How about Toyota um, saying things that were not, that EV's not a wonderland? What's with Toyota? I, I don't know. What is with Toyota? I don't know. Good stock lately. It is All the Japanese stock. stocks are good. Yes. By the way, speaking of EV, though, uh, Tesla is up another 3.5%. Oh, phew. And just so you rest, it's it's up 712 percent this year is Tesla. It's what is it now? It's the sixth largest market cap, right? I think so. It's going for the top. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's still a ways from Facebook, but it's getting there. Six hundred and forty two. You got to work on Apple. Apple should be up today. Why? You got Katie Huberty saying that the Chinese sales are much better than expected. Is the Tesla come down when it enters the S&P? I mean, is it has all the buying been done? I. Okay, David. This is apropos of what I said about Snowflake. Okay. There are people who will pay for Tesla, whatever they want. Right. So if you come in on Monday and it's down, they'll say, hey, listen, I'll buy some Tesla. I don't think people think like you and I. Right. I don't think people say, you know what, this is an event. It's moved the stock up and now it's going to sell off. Right. I think they just say, oh, good, Tesla's down. I'm going to buy some Tesla. I, I don't, David, it's different. It is different. It's different. 
like here, City says five reasons Apple stock can trade higher in 2021. Yeah. A very, you know, I, I read the piece this morning by Jim Suva. I happen to like Jim Suva very much. Yes. But no, David, App, they don't have crypto. They don't have crypto. They don't have EV. In other words, stay away. Well, How's that possible? You're kidding. No, I'm just, look at the stock. Which stock am I looking at? I'm now you're confused. looking at Apple. That's what I thought. What? It's down 40, it's down 53 cents. Well, it shouldn't be down. We have two high top flight analysts saying good things. Oh. I'm saying, David, that the new investor does not care about what the traditional firms say. Although I've been looking at that Reddit lately, David. They're not really giving me a lot of ideas. It's YOLO. Yeah. YOLO. What is, oh, how you doing? I'm There's good. YOLO saying, listen, buy Tesla. I mean, they got, they love Palantir. I mean, they're, they're By the way, I mentioned that downgrade of Palantir to 17 from Credit Suisse. Just talking about it trading at 46 times next year's sales. That's based on enterprise value. By the way, for, That's almost bigger for than all Snowflake. those Robin Hoods, enterprise value is not just equity. It's also you add in the debt. But it does figure prominently into the metrics we like to use in terms of a multiple to EBITDA. Go here, textbooks. Snow, Snowflake's 100. Snowflake's at 100. Yeah. And actually, it's like about 110 now. And again, eye of the beholder, David. And I hadn't looked it, at but they're not whether tools. it's getting hit. Yeah. They're real businesses. And I think that, I happen to think that Snowflake, or I'm going to say it, I think Snowflake's undervalued. Undervalued. Yeah. Undervalued. Undervalued. Why? Because I think that the estimates are so low versus what they're going to do. It's shocking. They are just, it's ridiculous. It's much like when I saw NVIDIA, when I first saw NVIDIA. And I met the guy who runs uh, Alley North America. He said, this NVIDIA is the the semiconductor of the future. And I looked at it. It was selling at at 80 times earnings. David, it turned out to be selling at 12 times earnings when we got there. That's a good point. That's a good point. If That's the earnings go up a lot, the multiple does come down. Again, and I something think else for all the new, uh, new investors we have out there to keep in mind. Those who are shorting, bet, uh, betting against Slootman, yeah. he has a particular set of skills that are going to be a nightmare. Yeah, he's relentless, that guy. Oh, but they God. always are. They always are. Right. Um, you ever Jim, smile? Does Slootman ever smile? I don't know. I don't really know Slootman. No. He only communicates with me through you by sending emails. Well, saying, Will you Benio. please just educate Faber about what the heck I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, FedEx. That's the key to this market. There How you did go. You know? da, da, da. I hit it. It's like the daily double. You hit you it. Do, do, do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've never, I was never on Jeopardy, so I just. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, all right. Why is it the key to this market? And obviously they reported they're not giving us guidance. Uh, 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 Jim okay. at FedEx, they are telling us CapEx going to be 5.1. capital spending forecast 5.1 billion uh, for fiscal 2021. But again, not providing an earnings forecast. They had some margin issues, uh, uh, added costs. Uh, first look, encur- here's Deutsche Bank, encouraging yield trends, but cost creep. Credit Suisse, ground margins fall short of expectations, uncertainty ahead. David, this stock is up uh, 85%. Did people yeah. just think it's just going to grow to the sky? It's a conventional company. It delivers things. I thought the quarter was spectacular. And uh, just spectacular that they were able to do what they do. Is just extraordinary, but people don't care. What have you done for me lately? Well, and- again, to your point, though, it is up 91% over the last 12 months, Jim. And this is FedEx, a company, by the way, we were, you know, not sparing in our criticism for for some period of time when the stock wasn't doing much. And oh. they seem quarter after quarter to be having a tougher time of it. It was always something. China. Yeah. But when it was at 150, the analysts were jackals. They were all over Fred Smith, the founder, and they made you feel like that FedEx didn't know what it's doing. But I think FedEx's clients 
were just completely gobsmacked because of, of COVID. And now, they're, remember, they're delivering vaccines. They're delivering on Sundays. They're getting the job done. Uh, and the stock is justifiably up. But there were people who just said, how can they not give a forecast? David, how could they give a forecast? Hey, and yeah, we think COVID's going to be beaten on February 12th. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a pretty good second quarter. I mean, who, who can give a forecast? We're looking at J&J thinking it might be good. So this could be a March 28th event. Who, who holds the people to this kind of thing? Right. It is. And you can't even figure out when the electricity is going to go on in your apartment. No, Conrad hasn't been in touch yet. I'll tell you, not a great day because it's the dark. It's like the, one of the darkest days of the year, you know? Yeah, but days get shorter. It's just yeah, I know. Soon, though, the they get, start getting longer. Very soon. Yeah. So How's your kid doing? They be school? Which one? No, no, I got a few. One in Tufts. Yeah, he's the, doing the, great. He's doing How's right. the COVID thing up there? Not good. Not, they don't have anybody there right now. School's off. School's out. Bob Pisani. He paid $80,000. They watch TV. <laughs> he's not going to stop, Bob. Just trying to get under my it's skin there. Yeah. No, you know, what's great about Jim is school is never out for Jim. We love him for that, exactly that reason. Uh, So it's a mixed open, folks. Happy Friday, by the way. Uh, Happy Tesla days. We're going to see a big move here later in the afternoon here. Uh, New highs on everything, small caps, you know, new highs uh, on the NASDAQ. And we've got a global rally going on as well, pointing out the big moves up in Europe this year. Asia's doing really well. But right now, tech's been leading this week. You see it's kind of flat. This is a flattish open. Banks are okay this week. They're kind of in line with the S&P. S&P is up about one and a half percent to the new highs for the week. Industrials and energy have been laggards, though. So it's essentially growth over value this week if you want to follow the market in that particular kind of way. Uh, You want an idea of how tough it is to beat uh, the markets these days. Let me just put an exclamation mark on what uh, Jim was just saying and David about about FedEx. The company beat by 20 percent and the stock is still down, essentially. Now, remember what's happened this year. The prior quarter, the beat was 65%. FedEx beat by 65% in the prior quarter. The, the, prior, the quarter prior to that, I think the beat was 80%. These numbers have been spectacular all year. And, and as David pointed out, the stock's up 90%. So now it's got another great beat, but it's only 20%. And the market goes, eh, yeah, so what? Uh, so that's the problem you've got when the stock's up 90% on the year and spectacular beats. It really gets hard to impress the markets after a while. Nobody should feel sorry for FedEx. It's been an amazing year. Uh, but it's going to be uh, Tesla's day today. We've been talking all week about the fact that this is the day Tesla goes into the S&P 500. And let me just make sure everybody understands this. The reconstituted index starts trading on Monday, but all the action happens at the close today. And that's what everybody cares about. It's not about Monday. It's about today here. So Tesla is just a really strange beast because we've never had anything like this before. The, it's going to be the seventh largest stock going into this thing, and it's going to cause big movements in the way the S&P is weighted. It's going to be one and a half percent of the S&P by, by weight. It's going to increase the, the P.E. ratio, which is already pretty rich. I've been saying 22 times. Now it's going to be 22.6 times forward earnings here. Uh, I think the issue is, the concern is that there's a strange confluence of events going on today that's going to lead to maybe historic trading volume on a dollar basis. So you've got the Tesla addition to the S&P 500. It's a huge stock. Uh, You've got the S&P rebalancing that normally occurs on today. And you've got a quadruple witching rebalance today, uh, which also normally occurs. You put these three things together. The concern is that there is an enormous amount of money that's going to be sloshing around in the last hour that could result in price imbalances, what you call market on close imbalances. And nobody wants to see that. Uh, It's fine for the volumes to move around, but nobody wants to see 
see any prices moving around. This is a good teaching moment to remind everybody about what's going on, that passive indexers rule the world. The people like the index committee at the S&P have enormous influences on the stock market. So the S&P market cap is about $31 trillion. That's more than 80% of the market value of the entire U.S. stock market. Indexers or passive investors tied to the S&P own anywhere from five to ten trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. Now we don't know exactly how big it is because there are a lot of passive investors that passively tie themselves that don't pay the S&P to do that. It could be as high as ten trillion. We're talking about a third of the market that is passively tied to the indexes. There you see Tesla, and of course, David. The whole point here is uh, these indexes don't buy low and sell high. They buy high and they sell low. Tesla's up 600% this year. S&P is buying Tesla stupendously high, and this is part of the problem you have with passive indexes now. They're bu they buy this stuff literally at the very top of the market. David, back to you. It's a great point. And yeah, yeah the price discovery, of course, is left to a handful of, of, yeah. of firms out there. So they, and they have to sell That's Apple right. stock in order because of Tesla, right? Yeah, yeah. They have to sell That's Apple, right. get the money, and buy Tesla. Um, Bob, thank you. Uh, Bob Bassani. Yeah. Um, let's get to Rick Santelli now, checking on the fixed income markets. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, David. You know, it's been an up week, not an aggressive fashion, but as we sit at 92 basis points in a 10-year note, we're down one on the day, up one on the week. As you see on the intraday chart, open it up to a two-day chart. You can see the issue. We keep running into resistance right in the mid-90s. And by the way, at 167, the 30-year bond's up four on the week. So there's some curve steepening going on. Long dated, of course, has been leading the selling, pushing rates higher. And the short end, of course, has been rather quiet. If you look at boons on top of tens for one week, uh, the boons are riding on top, as you see. They've been a bit firmer. Boon yields, you know, they went from the minus 64 area into the minus 55 to 57 area. That is actually something to pay very close attention to. You want to monitor that spread. This week's all about foreign exchange and the weaker dollar. If you look at, at a one week of the dollar index, you can see we're down more than a penny this week. It has been a very, very quick ride down for the dollar index. What's very fascinating, of course, is we know that the pound has been gaining on the dollar. We know Brexit's coming the last day of the year. So knowing that, let's look at the last time the pound was this high versus the dollar. You can see it was around April of 2018. But what's really fascinating is the vote for Brexit was June 23rd of 2016. If you zoom back there, at that point, the pound was just under 149. So as strong as it appears, it is still much lower than it was when the Brexit passed. David, Jim, back to you. Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli with the Bond Report. Well, later this morning, the Attorney General of Colorado, which is among the states that is suing Alphabet, stay with us. We need to get this stimulus passed so that we can help build that bridge for that part of the economy that can't be open, that can't be in business, to get it set so it can get there. Now that we have this vaccine, you can see the light in the tunnel. We just have to provide a bridge for companies and individuals to get there. But meanwhile, the people who are employed and have the money are spending, and that's good news for the economy. So we, we feel that the fourth quarter is setting up to be a little stronger than people thought, and we think next year will be plus 4% GDP growth in the United States, which continues that recovery. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan discussing relief aid and that juxtaposition that we talk about so often as well in terms of our economy. That was on Mad Money, of course, last night with you, Jim. Look, uh, it's spending up 10 percent business much better than expected. Uh, this month of December, uh, he gave me up to date numbers as of that morning. 
this again is an example, David, of the tale of two cities. Uh, and what, why Brian was on was because the B- Bank of America has committed more than a billion dollars to help uh, institutions that are mi- minority institutions, or community institutions. Uh, uh, there is uh, a need for someone to play this role. I think that what Brian was talking about was we want the federal government to solve the illness and the private sector will take care. I challenge that. I think that the private sector is not doing enough, but I think Brian is at Bank of America. He's been very positive, though, on the economy itself. Yeah, that uh, more than 4% GDP number he shared in terms of an outlook for next year is fairly significant. All right, we're going to take a very quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. Let's do a little stop trading, Darden. Well, I was going to do Macy's upgraded by uh, Jeffries and Kohl's, but this Darden's very fascinating to me. David, they missed the quarter. They missed the numbers. Olive Garden did not deliver what I thought it would, and the stock's up. That's because people are seeing right through this valley. And you can look at the chart, and the chart demonstrates when we believed that the valley was too low, and now there ain't no mountain high enough for Darden to climb. <laughs> All right, what do we got on Mad tonight? David, I got Cloudflare, which I think is a good thing to be able to talk about in terms of the, uh, the breach. But also, I have Dr. Michael Mina, and he's the guy who's been saying, wait a second, we do have a strip. Very inexpensive. We take, look at, take it every morning. Government could get, spend $2 billion. The whole country could end this pandemic in six months. You mean a testing strip? Yes. Yeah. Got it. But, you know, David, no one makes any money off the testing strip. Right. And I'm not my old Trotskyites uh, Socialist Workers Party, but this is really outrageous what's happening in this country. Uh, unfortunately, every day brings a bad record. Uh, Jim, have a great weekend. You though. too. I hope you get your electricity back. You can up. only stay at my place. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate I've that. I've got, uh, we can do very social distancing. You stay outside, I'd be inside. <laughs> Sounds like a great thing. Thank you. As long as I can use your Wi-Fi. <laughs> All right, Jim Cramer, everybody. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.